wherever you are uh, seated, wherever you're watching us from, I want to invite you right now, if you would, uh, to stand. We read scripture together every week, and so I want to invite you to stand with me, and I'm going to read the scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning from uh, the book of Acts in the New Testament. It's the uh, reason it's called the book of Acts. It's about the acts of the first disciples of Jesus. So it's a book about action and about things going forward that the Holy Spirit has put into people's hearts, and I'll read it aloud, and you can follow along on the screen, Acts chapter 10. Uh, These are the words of Peter. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing wherever you are. We're going to talk about something um, really difficult and challenging today. We're at a tipping point in our culture, it seems like to me, as I've watched things on social media, as I've watched things on the news, and as I've listened to people who are really struggling at this moment on the issue of race. We're going to talk about that because this is what this passage is about. Um, uh, This is also Pentecost, which is the beginning of the church. Uh, The first Pentecost, you can read about it in the book of Acts chapter 2. And uh, we're, we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit gives us power to be agents of reconciliation. So we're going to learn about that today. But I need to tell you about my kids for a second. Um, my kids and I have this game that we play that I started. It's my fault. Uh, we started, and I started, I started saying to them, you know, you're my favorite. You just don't tell your brothers. Or I'd say to my sons, or one of my sons, you know, you're my, bro- you're my favorite. Don't tell your sister. Don't tell your brother. And uh, I like it because, you know, they, they are like, oh, you're my, I'm your favorite dad. And then I started, uh, when we drive places, and I still do this to this day, I'll say to my daughter, Carrington, who's 10, I'll say, Carrington, is when you know, everyone's in the car, I'll say, Carrington, it's, I want you to know that you're my favorite, but please don't tell your brothers. They'll be devastated. And she'll just kind of smile, and uh, then I'll say that to, and I'll, in turn, I'll say it to all the kids in the car, and then usually Corbin, our middle son, who's uh, kind of wisecracking, he will, he's 12, and he'll pipe up and he'll say, uh, I'm devastated, Dad. <laughs> and now, so then now, it's kind of morphed a little bit. My kids have kind of picked up on this whole thing of favorites, and um, now they'll come up to either Andrea or me, and they'll say, you know, Dad, uh, don't, tell, don't tell Mom, but you're my favorite. <laughs> And then I found out, though, I found out, though, that my kids are onto the game because I found a note uh, not long ago. I I tried to look for a picture of it, and I couldn't find the picture of it that Carrington wrote to my wife, and it was like, Dear Mom, I love you so much. Uh, And she gave this to my wife. I never saw this until, like, you know, months after. Uh, But don't tell Dad you're my favorite. (laughs) Talk about devastating a father, right? I mean, I love my wife. She's amazing. If 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 my daughter's going to have a favorite, it'd be my wife. Um, but here, here's, the, here's the reality that points to. Every one of us wants to be loved the most, right? And uh, if you're not the favorite, you have a problem. Now, we do this, our, our phones do this for us. I don't know if you have a, a, an iPhone. I think an Android does it too. But you can uh, take a picture and then you can hit favorite. 
and then you can access the things that are the favorite. Um, you can save photos on Instagram and they become your favorites. Now here's what I know when you favorite one of those photos, the reason you do that is so that you have easy access. Now this is a rule of life. Whoever is the favorite has the most access. That's what being the favorite has always been about. It's why we work and cajole and strive to be the favorite. I, I want in. You know, I want, I want access. And, and being on the inside of any group, doesn't matter who the group is, being on the inside, being an insider, being a favorite, this is a longing of the human heart. And the opposite's true, though, too, isn't it? Being on the outside, this is a form of death. Now, the reality is that for those of us who are trying to figure all of this out, the, the reality for us is that barriers are the human way. Because there's a problem if you aren't the favorite. Now, if you want to mess up one of your children, you could do a version of what I did with my kids, and you could say to them, and I, I, I know some folks who grew up this way. I thank, Thankfully, my parents didn't do this, but I know some people who grew up this way. And their parent would say to them, now, my, your sister is my favorite. I know that if you want to mess up the, uh, people who are employees who work with you, what you need to do, if you, want, if you want a really great way to mess things up in the culture that you're trying to form as a leader, is what you do is you communicate, you can do it subtly or you can do it overtly, uh, you communicate, uh, this person or this group is my favorite and the rest of you are just red-headed stepchild. Some of you have been through the merger of a business, and you know how it goes when um, I've heard this story over and over again. You know, a, a business gets merged, and uh, the business that buys the other business, somehow the employees who come from that business, they are the favorites, and everybody knows it, right? And, and this is the problem of religion, that, that religion creates favorites. Well, what, do, what, do you, what are you saying, Scott? What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? <laughs> Uh, I, what am I talking about? Well, before you write me off, here, here's what religion is. Religion is the human attempt that you and I make to be close to God. And because it is a human attempt, it has human flaws. And the unintended consequence of religion is the creation of a group of favorites. And if there's favorites, there's always an insider and there's always an outsider. And so what religion does, and it's repeated this over and over throughout human history, it creates false barriers to God for other people who are not an insider, and it creates false barriers between people. Now, you maybe you're saying, wait, I'm religious, Scott. What are you saying? Are you saying I'm a bad person? No, I'm not saying that at all. The word itself, religion, is, uh, it's a, comes from two Latin words, to put something back together or to re-ligament something. So it's about connection, but the problem is, is that we all do that imperfectly. Now, I'm not talking about us trading in our values. I'm not talking about us fudging on what's right or wrong. I'm talking about how our attempts to be close to God, to be one of the favorites, can often create false barriers for other people. Now, how in the world does religion actually do this? Now, we've got some folks in the room, and I'm so glad you're in the room. And it has been so long since I've preached to real-life people. I love you so much. I love all of you, too, but I love you, too. So I'm having this, just so you know, I'm having this mental thing go through my head, like, but I want to talk to them. But I need, Okay, but we're all together. Okay, soon. Soon, very soon, June the 13th, uh, you'll hear some more information about that, uh, which we'll is first, about how you can be in the room, too. Uh, so how does religion do this? How does religion 
create favorites. Well, that's what this text is all about. Uh, This is Peter, and Peter is at Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa by the sea. Joppa uh, is a, uh, it's a a modern city. Uh, It's old and new, and it's just about maybe three quarters of a mile down the beach from modern day Tel Aviv. You can go to Simon the Tanner's house, been to Simon the Tanner's house, and he's there, and Peter goes up on the roof, and that day, you know, it's hot, you go upstairs, a flat roof, and he's sitting there on, on, the, on the roof, and he has this trance or this vision. And in this vision, Peter, a devout Jew, sees this sheet coming down from heaven. It happens three different times, and in it are all of these unclean animals. In other words, animals that Jewish people are not supposed to eat. This is why I could never be a Jew, because I love bacon, okay? So nothing against, but so it's like you can't, like pigs and all the the, the kinds of animals that you're not supposed to eat. And every time the sheet would come down from heaven, and uh, he would hear the voice of God say to him, get up and eat. And it's recorded in Acts chapter 10, verse 14, surely not, this is Peter in his dream, surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. In other words, I'm a good Jew. I have followed my religion. The voice spoke to him a second time. Listen, this is powerful because we're going to talk about the implications of it. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, this is a dramatic shift for any Jew to hear that. Now, what's going on? Peter's a devout Jew, which meant that he kept all of the religious laws. He maintained a kosher diet. This is one of the ways that the Jewish people have uh, still to this day uh, are set apart from other ethnic groups or other, other religions is they have a kosher diet. And so Peter did that. He'd always done that. He was a good Jew. He did, kept all the rules. And that's how he knew that he was holy and that he was pure and that he was righteous. And he was doing something that all of his ancestors had done for years. In fact, if you were to go to look the book of Leviticus, you would find in Leviticus chapter 20, which is one of the, the Leviticus is one of the first five books of the Old Testament, and it, it contains all these laws. And Leviticus 20 says this, this is God to the people of Israel, the Jewish people, you must not live according to the customs of the nations I'm going to drive out before you. In other words, don't be like them. Because they did all these things, and I abhorred them, all these actions. But I say to you, you will possess the land, and I will give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the the nation of Israel today. I am the Lord your God, who has set you apart from the nations. Right? So Peter's doing this, and he's like, when I do this, I'm one of the favorites. I'm on the inside. Now, if you were to go through the Old Testament, uh, what we know as the Old Testament, you would, and you were to count it up, you would find 613 different commands that, that if you were a good Jew, you were to keep. And the rabbis said, you need to keep all these rules, the rabbis, the teachers, and, and they would put around those rules what they called a fence. Now, I've got a, I've got a fence right here, right, uh, that Frank Dungan made for me. Thank you, Frank. And uh, what they would do is they would say, okay, now the law says that you can only take so many steps on the Sabbath. If you go to Israel today and you go into a a hotel, uh, they will have what are called Shabbat elevators. And the Shabbat elevator on the Sabbath, Shabbat is the the word for Sabbath, uh, it is uh, pre-programmed to stop at every floor. So you don't have to do the work of pushing the button. It's a, it's a fence to keep you from having to do work on the Sabbath. And so the rabbis would say, like, you, you can walk this far on the Sabbath, but in order to not even come close to breaking the rule and becoming a non-favorite, then we're going to put a fence and we're going to say, you need to eat, uh, walk even less distance on, uh, on the Sabbath. Now, I, I got a question for you. 
If you live inside of a fence that someone has established, what does it put between you and other people? Now, this is not a trick question. A barrier. A fence. Now, for Peter, this was 100% normal. Now, listen. This is the thing about normal, is that you cannot see what is normal to you. Because... Well, it's normal, <laughs> and normal is normal, right? Can I get an amen from over here on the side, right? Now, thank you. Thank you. There's like six people. I love you guys. Uh, this is so, as an extrovert, it's driving me nuts not to go hug everybody right now. So here, here's what I know about normal. If you do what I think is normal, then I think you are also normal. But if you do not do what I think is normal, guess what I think you are? I think you are abnormal, right? This is how religion creates barriers. See, the people keeping the rules and the practices, the same ones as me, they are the normal ones. And here's what religion does. Then it sends us the subtle message that says, well, the people then that are not keeping the same rules and practices as me, they are the abnormal or the bad ones. I was in the seventh grade at Jarrett Junior High School, Springfield, Missouri, and we were in PE class. And we had in PE class a, uh, a, um, a, a series, I'm trying to think of the word at the moment, a, a, uh, a, a, a session of classes in PE where we were learning to dance. Now, got to pause right there. Uh, I've grown up in the church of the Nazarene. My parents were Nazarene missionaries. My dad was a Nazarene pastor. I was born in the church of the Nazarene. If you were born in, the, if you're, if you've come from the same uh, cloth as I come from, you know what I'm getting ready to say next. Um, dancing for Nazarenes has always been a terrible no-no. I can't really explain to you why, but it just has always been a terrible no-no. And to this day, I cannot move my hips because I was, I'm just way too Nazarene. I just have no rhythm. And, and uh, so I'm in the seventh grade, and it's dancing. It's not just dancing. It's square dancing, right? do si do and it's like that. And so I, I am getting ready to do square dance. I'm, I'm kind of like, oh, I get to do the thing I'm not supposed to do. I, I knew I wasn't supposed to dance. And my mom sends a note to the PE teacher and says, please excuse Scott from the square dancing class. Like, how embarrassing, right, for a seventh grader. But here's what, here's what that did inside of me. This, I, I, felt, I even felt, I didn't have a word for it, but I felt this little pride thing go down into my heart and go, hmm, I guess we're better than other people. What happened for me in that moment is I put up a fence. And, and I got the idea that if I keep the rules, I could be one of God, God's favorites. And the people who did not keep those same rules that I thought were important, they were the outsiders. Now, listen, this, let me bring this back to the story. This is Peter's framework for how he sees the world. He is on the other side of the fence. If he does not respond right here in Acts chapter 10 to this vision he has from God. He keeps his framework forever, and he is always a good Jew. He dies a good Jew, and that is it. And guess what happens if Peter doesn't do that? That means that the Gentiles would have remained 
outsiders. That means that, listen, I'm a Gentile, and most of you watching, you're also Gentiles. In other words, not Jewish by birth. That means that the gospel would have never changed the world that you and I inhabit. Now, this is a deeply ingrained framework inside of Peter. And, and how in the world do you ever change a viewpoint that you hold so strongly that maybe you can't even see it? I have found two things that do it. Well, number one, I've found that it's very, very hard. Number two, I've really only seen in my own life and in other people's lives as I've tried to help them deal with circumstances, two things that will move someone outside of their fence and start to see things in a different way. And the first one is pain. Like it hurts to stay where you are. Or you have a picture of something better you would like to be. Now, I want you to pause in the story right here, and I want you to understand how kind and how gracious God is, because the Holy Spirit doesn't send Peter pain to try and get him to change his mind about Gentile people. He sends a vision, and Peter hears what God thinks. And right, so he has this trance, and, and you can read the story in Acts chapter 10, and, and just right, he wakes up, and boom, there are these three men these three uh, Roman men, so they're not ethnically Jews, right? They're the other, the other people. They're the outsiders on the other side of the fence. They're the Gentiles. These three men shown up, uh, and, and from Cornelius, they're in Caesarea, which is about 30 miles up the coast on the Mediterranean, been there, beautiful, beautiful city, beautiful ruins that you can still visit today. These three men show up because Cornelius had a vision and said, uh, God said to Cornelius in that vision, send for Peter, who's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. He's going to tell you about my message. And so he sends these three men. They show up, and he hear, Peter hears, hey, these three men are looking for you. Peter makes the connection, three times the sheep, three men. And Peter has his first aha from the vision. Now, got it. It's, we're going to put it on the screen for you. Acts chapter 10, verse 28. Peter said to the three men, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. I, in other words, I know what the law is. I know what it says. If I'm going to be a good if I'm going to be a good religious Jew, if I'm going to do all, keep all the rules, I'm not supposed to associate you. Get what he says. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. I wish I could transplant into you Peter's openness because I really can't underscore for you how radical this is and I, I got to ask you if you will be as radical as Peter because he makes the leap from I mean, all these things come down right he has this vision and he's like I won't eat those things he makes the leap from things to people he makes the I think the connection was going for him he's like oh creation God makes male and female those are people and he gives us a mandate to fill the garden and make it good and then he gives a blessing to Abraham I mean any good Jew knows this story in Abraham and he says through you Abraham I'm going to bless every nation through you. Oh my gosh, wait, this, is for, this message is for everybody. Wait, I think I've missed the point about people. I've focused on fences and I've missed people. His first aha. So he travels the 30 miles to Caesarea. You got to think he's all the time. He's just thinking about why wow, I had this vision and these three men show up and wow, God cares about these people and I didn't think he did. And he, Cornelius is there, the centurion who has 100 men in his charge. He's a God-fearing man, the, the story in Acts 10 says. 
And Cornelius tells them about this vision. Now, now, now um, Peter, could Peter have heard the voice of God, you know, this vision, and not had the aha? Yeah, absolutely. Happens all the time. Nothing would have been different. The gospel would have never gotten to you. And it's the danger of hearing God's voice, of being religious and doing nothing with it. You could sit comfortably with people who see it just like you do and think the whole time you're pleasing to God because you're inside the fence. Like total danger, right? And so Cornelius tells him how God has gotten his attention. Now, you've got to put yourself inside of Peter's seat right there because Peter's just had this vision. These three men show up. He's recognizing, oh, my word, these people are important to God too, and I've focused on the wrong things. And he's listening to this man talk about how God is working in his life. Can you imagine inside of Peter's mind and heart what's crumbling in his mind and heart as he listens and he starts to see this man, and by extension, everyone who's not a Jew, completely different completely differently. I don't know if that's good grammar. It's more, he, he saw them more better -er than before. I know that's not good grammar either, but my grammar's terrible. He starts to go, this is someone also made in God's image, and God loves this man thanks to what Jesus did. And he starts to reflect back on how he saw Jesus treat people who were far from God, and people of different races, and people of different backgrounds. And it had to, at that moment, absolutely click and he was converted in a different way. And he has aha number two, because this is how it says, it says it in the story. After he hears Cornelius, then Peter began to speak. Listen to the aha. This is so powerful. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Like to this point, he's thought he did, right? I'm one of the insiders. I keep the rules but accepts from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every color of skin, the one who fears him and does what is right. Now listen, you could read the Bible, and one of the ways you could read the Bible is you could read it as a bunch of stories of people's conversions. But you got to also understand that in the Bible, people in the Bible, the same person can have more than one conversion. What, what do I mean? Well, the most important conversion is the conversion to faith, right, from not having any faith and trust and confidence in God to faith. That's like the fundamental conversion that we all need. But then the subsequent conversions are your faith converts your values and your prejudices and your outlooks. It's faith is not this get out of jail free card where you need to just maintain the same value systems and the same prejudices and the same outlooks. And Peter's faith right here converts him. So, okay, now let me, let me just let me boil this down, right? Let's land the plane here. So what, Scott? Big deal. Well, as I, I was preparing this message, um, and I'm praying about it, and I'm, I'm thinking about it, and, and there were two implications that were so glaring to me. One, this, this text was picked before the, the events of this last week. Like this was, I plan on preaching this for a while. And um, I struggled with the, the, there's two implications I think are super powerful, and, and I, I honestly struggled with which one to start with because both of them are so important. And, and, and I got to be honest with you, when, when I talk about race, because that's one of the implications, if, if you have been discipled by a news channel or a radio talk show, you're going to make a bunch of assumptions about what we're going to say about race here in just a second. And I want to tell you those assumptions would be 100% wrong. And I want to challenge you to have the same openness as Peter, because this could be your conversion. Your faith has to convert the way you see other people, or it's not genuine faith. Let me, so the first, first implication is this, okay? It's, it's for the people who are 
far from God. Because the first conversion is about people getting to heaven, right? And that's the business of the church, right? We want people to come from no faith or no trust, no confidence in God, to complete faith, faith and complete trust and complete confidence in God. And they want, we want the, their life to be changed by the gospel of Jesus and then for the gospel of Jesus to change everything in their life. And so we, we want there to be no fences whatsoever, no musical fences, no, no practice fences, no assumptive fences, no fences. If we find a fence, we want to tear it down so that nobody is kept out because a fence is something you and I put up. I don't want to let my church experience be a fence to someone who has no church experience. I don't ever want that to happen. I don't want that to be us as a church. And I want you to join me in that. I want us to have the aha and go, oh my word, I didn't know I was putting up a fence. And so we got to be people of radical welcome. Now, now listen, this is what I know about, about you and me, especially if you grew up in the church, is we have this inside of us, you know, like, okay, we got to let people know that some of the things that they're doing, they're just wrong. And we got to tell them that they're wrong. And if they don't know that they're wrong, they won't change. Well, that's not our business. <laughs> uh, the gospel writers say, and then the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world with regard to sin. Doesn't say when the Holy Spirit comes, he will use Scott to convict the world of sin. No, not my job. I'm on the, you and I are on the welcoming committee, not the cleaning committee. And, and we, we sometimes, in our rush to say, well, we've got to let people know that they're wrong, we miss that we first have to tell them that they're wanted and loved. Because no one changes anything unless they first know they're wanted and loved. And it's the job of the church to make sure that people know that they are wanted and they are loved. It's a radical implication of the gospel is that we start to care about lost people in the same way. So as a church, we're just doing everything. We're, we're rethinking every COVID has given us the opportunity to rethink everything about the church and, and focus everything like a laser beam on, are, are we creating any fences that would keep people away from God? How do, what do we need to change? What do we need to get out of the way? What do we need to be done with? Okay, so that's the, that's the first implication. The second one is the implication about race. And, and, and listen, I... I, I thought about this. It's like I, I, I had some. I posted a few things on Facebook this week and, and Twitter, and um, if you followed me on there, you may have seen the things that I posted there. And um, I had some had some people behind the scenes kind of do a bunch of pushback, and they were mad that I was posting what I was posting. And, and I, I just I thought, you know what? I, I, I as a as a white man, um, I need to talk to those of us who are white, and and maybe maybe together we could make a little bit of progress on behalf of our brothers and sisters with a different skin color. And so really, I'm, I'm talking to you, and I want to do this with as much compassion as I can, but really what I'm doing is I'm praying that you see the vision. And I'm praying that you're moved to act, because the, second, the first conversion is about getting uh, people into heaven. The second conversion is about getting heaven into people and into their circumstances, and having the kind of faith that would bring reconciliation and hope especially to this issue of race. Now, listen, um, you need to understand something about Christians for 2,000 years. Uh, we've had, if, if Orthodox Christianity has had four basic ethical stances uh, that whatever the political winds have been or whoever has been in power, Orthodox Christianity has always embraced these four ethical stances. Uh, one, race, all people are equal in the eyes of God. God has no favorites. Two, the poor and the oppressed, Without, those without justice, those without a voice. Um, three, life, pro-life, from the cradle to the grave, from the womb to the grave. 
for that sexuality is meant to be expressed between a man and woman in a covenant marriage relationship. Now, you immediately hear those four things and you go, okay, well, two of those are currently liberal, liberal issues. Two of those are currently conservative issues. And I just want to tell you, those have always been biblical issues. <laughs> I don't really care what the political winds say about those things um, because those, those four things are for all people. Now, listen, 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 please, I beg you. If you're a follower of Jesus, never allow, like, see, all four of those things, they're all about people. People. They're not about issues, they're about people that God loves. If you're a follower of Jesus, please never allow people that God cares about to be dismissed by you because somebody politicized the issue. Please, see more clearly than that. So if you have not been watching the news, just this last week, uh, a man by the name of George Floyd um, had his, uh, his he was... Uh, no one knows exactly what happened, but there was a, a possible uh, forgery and that may or may not have happened. Don't, don't know the full extent of that, but a police officer put his knee on George Floyd's neck uh, for nine minutes and uh, George Floyd died, an act of violence. A few weeks before that, Ahmaud Aubrey, a black man, was jogging through his neighborhood. He was followed by some men, confronted by some men, and shot while he was jogging. A few weeks before that, someone by the name of Brianna Taylor was sitting in her living room and the police busted in thinking they were finding someone, they were in the wrong house. She thought there was an intruder, like you would think there was an intruder in your house if someone burst through the door and she was shot and killed in her own home. And, and here's what, here's, if you're listening, here's what our, our brothers and sisters with black skin are trying to say. They're trying to say, do you see the systemic nature of racism. Now, I know that raises like so many hackles, okay? But would you just listen? Most of the most of the my brothers and sisters who are white that I know personally are they're not personally racist, you know? We, we, we're, we're, that, thank God that's happened. We recognize that the sin of hating another person because of their skin is, is wrong. And praise God for that. But I just want to suggest to you that our understanding of the pervasiveness of sin is not enough. And our black brothers and sisters are trying to say, do you see how deep this really goes? And that's what systemic racism is about. What do you mean, what, what do you mean by that? Well, what do you mean by sin is pervasive, Scott? What do you mean? Well, the theological term for that is total depravity. In other words, there's no person or interaction or, or family or institution or business or organization or function that is not in some way affected by sin. Sin personally infiltrates us. It infiltrates everything. There's a demonic nature to that. The language in the scriptures is the flesh, the world, and the devil are aligned against us. It's, it's the sand in the wheels of the machinery of humanity. It's the broken O-ring on the space shuttle. It's the fake news about God and humanity. It's the unseen virus we constantly fight. And it's not, but, it, but here's what systemic, systemic issues, uh, the systemic nature of sin is. It's not just in my choices. It's in what I have accepted as normal. Okay, you need to hear that again. Systemic issues of sin mean that the sin is not just in my choices, but in what I have accepted as normal. And, and our brothers and sisters who are black are telling us that we have not yet dealt with systemic racism. We're not yet seeing what's normal for us and normal for them are not the same thing. And if you have anyone who is a friend and you're white and you have someone, a friend who is black and you've talked to them, they've told you things about how they've driven 
and they've been followed and pulled over in places that you've never been, you've driven and you've never been pulled over if you're white. They've gone through stores and had people follow them when no one follows you when you go in the store. Their, their normal is not your normal, and they're trying to say, do you not see that you, what's normal for you, you, you don't see, it's abnormal for us. And that this is an issue of biblical righteousness. I'm, I'm just begging you to not hear this as political talking points, because it's not. This is about the heart of God talking points, because God cares about people. And if there's, if there's people because of the color of their skin are on the other side of the fence from you, and all it takes is for you to, oh my gosh, I didn't realize, and you see things differently, and you can come on and have brotherhood and sisterhood with them, Again, this, what a painful vision we have been given if you watch that video of George Floyd. I couldn't even watch the whole thing. But that functions, if you'd let it, in the same way that vision from heaven functioned for Peter. And, and you can't see that vision of George Floyd and just go about business as usual. Listen, it's not about police. I have friends who are police who are fantastic police officers. It has nothing to do with that. They're, they're bad apples. They're, they're bad pastors, okay? And I would never want to say, because one person was a bad pastor and, and had character issues, that that means all pastors are that way. I get it, right? It's that way, and they're bad actors in every organization. So it's not about the police, or it's not... But, but we got to get a different vision if we're white, because we got to step up and recognize that we've allowed things to be normal and excluded a whole group of people don't have our experience. And, and as Christians, see, what we do, we operate in the present moment based on what's going to happen. <laughs> we, we operate based on what Jesus already did for us, but the resurrection's coming, and so we operate toward what's going to happen. We, we look toward heaven, and we say, what's going to happen in heaven? And Jesus even taught us to pray. When you pray, pray this way. Pray that your, God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. If I could tell you what it's racially like in heaven, would that affect how you treat people right now and see them right now? Let me tell you what the Bible says about race in heaven. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. John, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Listen, if that is our future, we must figure out how to bring it into our present moment for our brothers and sisters who are suffering. So I've got three ways that you can do that. If you're white and you go, wait, wait, wait you're just, you can't just throw that at me and tell me that I'm terrible because I'm not trying to do that. Three acts you could begin to do to move toward healing and being an agent of reconciliation and the power of the Holy Spirit. Number one is this is you got to listen. I've watched an awful lot of people who are white on Facebook and Twitter make pronouncements about an experience they've never had. You're entitled to your opinion. It's a free country. But what if you listened first and you talked to someone who was black or you talked to someone of a different ethnicity and you just asked and, and without any other agenda, you just said, can you tell me what it's like for you? What's it like to be black in America? 
What's different about how you raise your kids than how I've raised my kids? What's that like for you? Can you educate me? And then listen. So that's the first thing, listen. Second thing is that you've got you've to see things differently. You've got to see things from their perspective. Uh, I, I, I used to run, hurt my back, had to stop running. Not one time when I went out for a run did I worry. You know, you know, I might not come back because someone might mistake me for some bad actor and, and they might take my life because of my skin color. Not one time. I was sometimes concerned about my safety because I'm out alone, you know, but someone might. But I, I never had that. I, I'm never worried sitting in my, in my, uh, in my living room that if the police were to break in, you know, that I couldn't talk my way through that and say, wait, wait, not me, uh, wrong house, that I'd lose my life. Never, never. If I, if I happen to have, and this is what some people think happened with George Floyd, I had, if I was somehow given a, a $20 bill that was a forgery and I used it in a store, uh, I've, never, I've never worried that the police would come and then they would put the, their knee on my neck and snuff my life out I, or that I would ever have to be afraid of the police. But if you talk to our brothers and sisters, what you'll hear is those are genuine fears. And again, not political points. We're talking about people here, okay? We're talking about actual, actual people. This is, uh, this is Pentecost. It's the, it's the, the Sunday we celebrate the, the giving of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And and the, the largest uh, group of, of Christian people in the world are the what are called the Pentecostals uh, around around the globe. And that movement of Christians was started in the early 1900s by an uneducated black man by the name of William Seymour. And uh, William Seymour was used by the Holy Spirit to start something new. Now, I, I, now you could say, well, why, why is that the largest expression of Christianity? I don't know. Maybe it's tied to something that, that, that the Holy Spirit knew, okay, I could use this man. I could confound in, in that day the, the, the white folks who are just not seeing how big my kingdom is. They don't see how normal for them keeps other people trapped. And I can use this. And I can use this around and, and then once you've listened and once you've tried to see what might it be like if I was in their shoes, then, then let yourself feel what it might be like to try so hard to be heard, so hard to be seen, so hard to say, no, we really are struggling collectively as a people. No, it really is unfair to us. No, it really does hurt. No, I really do have to suck things up all the time and pretend like I'm okay. And, and no one would listen to you and they would dismiss you in all kinds of ways. What might that feel like to not be heard or not be seen? And here's what I'm, I'm hoping and I'm praying. I'm hoping and praying this grows compassion in your heart. This is, I have no interest in you feeling guilty. No interest in you feeling like you're a bad person. You're not. I have every interest in compassion growing in your heart toward your brother and sister who have a different experience than and you becoming an agent of reconciliation as a result. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for us. And uh, I'm going to pray for us as we try to figure this out. Because this is tough. I'm not, I'm not under any delusions that because I gave a message today. This is going to change the No, no. I just, I just am hoping and praying that this is a heart change moment for you. And that your faith in God converts your values and your outlook 
And you can have the openness of Peter. <laughs> and, and like the message went out from Peter like this, there could be this openness that comes out from your life and my life and from our church. Because I, I want to be part of a church that's like heaven. And I want you to experience that too. So would you pray with me? Let's pray. Thank you, uh, Holy Spirit that you love the church and you love the church when she's getting it wrong. And, and we confess that many times we've gotten this wrong. Sometimes we've gotten it so right, but many times we've gotten it wrong. And you still love the church because this is, this, we're your people that you love, that you bought with your own blood, that you sacrifice for. And we want to we wanna be to our world everything, Jesus, that you have been to us. So I pray, Lord, that there would be uh, faith conversions in our hearts this week. That we'd begin to listen. We'd begin to see. We'd begin to feel. And that would allow us to become agents of reconciliation. So bring healing to our, our, our pained nation to the hurt we're feeling, the grief, the confusion, the frustration, the misunderstanding. Bring healing. We ask this in your name. All God's people said.